is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Peter Cloti, and here's what's coming up. In effect, the siege by the Ethiopian and Eritrean forces continues to avert the humanitarian calamity and hundreds of thousands more people from dying. We need unfettered humanitarian access from those reinforcing the siege. That was World Health Organization head Tedros Adhonom Ghebreyesus on global crises that are eroding the health of millions and blocking needed humanitarian aid. And all this and more coming up on African News Tonight. The extent of the damage from floods in South Africa's KwaZulu-Natal province is coming into sharp focus. More than 340 people have died and thousands have lost their homes. Complicating efforts to bring relief to battered communities is the damage to roads, bridges, power supplies and the Durban port. That port may affect most of the country in the coming days. Journalist Myron Nika in Durban spoke with viewers Kate Pound Dawson about the disaster a short time ago. Essential services um, in KwaZulu-Natal have taken a major hit. Uh, prior to the floods, um, essential services were already at a strain. There were certain areas within the province had gone weeks without water, without electricity, and it was something that government and authorities were trying to to get a hold of the floods then took things to a, a, a completely different level because it then damaged um serious infrastructure and not just infrastructure and piping along the way but pump stations and and uh, 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 electricity substations what it's done is it's created an outage now that's lasted in some areas for more than a week in the urban areas, I live in, in Durban, which is the big city in KwaZulu-Natal. Um, some areas have gone without water for two or three days, but it's, it's intermittently. And it, and it seems as if though the big municipalities and the big metros like Durban have greater relief efforts in place because water and electricity in a lot of Durban and surrounds have now been restored. I took a drive uh, about 150 kilometers down to the south coast uh, earlier this morning. And this area has not had water now since last last Saturday. So it's, it's very clear that smaller areas um, which don't have bigger budgets and don't have access to uh, disaster management teams and relief teams um, are, are being left in the wake. And, and, and what we also have seen the roads being and bridges being very badly damaged. How is that affecting efforts to restore water or to even bring in water tankers to communities and to restore electricity? What has happened is the uh, the, the the major bridges and entrances into communities have collapsed. So alternate routes are being made available and being used. But what that does mean is that regular traffic that would commute on a national highway are also using alternative routes as a means to get back home or to get to work or to just go down to the grocery store and, and get simple supplies. So that's caused a major backlog. 
backlog. What authorities have done is they have prioritized the national highways. The national highways were closed for almost two days. And what we what we know is that the highway which connects Kwazulu Natal to Johannesburg and to other parts of the country carry cargo, carry goods. So it's imperative that you know they were reopened and they were worked on compounding all of this i understand is the damage to the port at durban how is that affecting things so the durban port is the biggest port in the sub-saharan african region it, it brings across fuel it brings across food and supplies um, not just to the province of KwaZulu Natal, but a network that then drives it around the country and, and into SADC nations like Zimbabwe, like Namibia, like Angola. The immediate problem into the port is that the roads coming out of the port um, are are hugely problematic and while authorities are trying to get those roads sorted out there's a backlog of trucks trying to get into the port and a backlog of trucks trying to get out of out of the port so basically in a nutshell it's halted all all operations within the port so the port now for almost a week has been inoperational and but now we're in a situation um, that that shows us that drivers and motorists are, are heading to fuel stations and to pump stations and are being turned away because they simply don't have fuel anymore. Um, and when big trucks don't have fuel, then they can't carry food across the, the country. Uh, the inoperation of the port has caused major backlog in supplying services, not just to the immediate community that's been hit, but communities outside the province as well. Authorities are working around the clock to try and get those roads sorted out so supplies can come through. There will also be talks about potentially using a, a port which is about 150, 200 kilometers um, uh, down the north coast of KZN, which is the Richards Bay port. So there's still a lot of mulling around to do, but for now, the big priority is to get the Durban port back up and running again. That's journalist Myron Nika in Durban. He was speaking with my colleague Kate Pound Dawson. Angry mourners barred the Zimbabwean ambassador to South Africa from addressing them at the memorial service in Johannesburg for a Zimbabwean killed by a vigilante group that was hunting for undocumented migrants and criminals. Speakers at the service expressed anger with the way Elvis Nyathi was killed, with some saying if the Zimbabwean government did a better job governing, Nyathi would have stayed in Zimbabwe and would still be alive today. Thusa Kumalo reports from Johannesburg. The service Thursday evening started with mourners singing to praise Elvis Nyati. But as soon as Zimbabwean Ambassador David Hamadziripi was called to the podium, chaos ensured as mourners refused to be addressed by him. The ambassador had to leave immediately. But this is what he had told VOA about the death of Nyati earlier on. This was a horrific death. This was a gruesome death. And it is one which we condemn. It doesn't matter who the perpetrator is. It is not something that can be condoned. This is a human life which was lost in circumstances which cannot be justified in any way. Nyati was the victim of anti-immigrant vigilance who raided the Dipslu township in Johannesburg last week. Mourners at the service were overwhelmed by grief and tears when Nyati's coffin was rolled into the Hilbo Theatre for them to pay their last respects. Family spokesperson Belen Lovu told VOA Nyati's death has left his family devastated. 
we were very much saddened by what happened. We are shocked. Some of us are angry because the people who killed our cousin still have not been arrested, and we don't know what is happening with that case. Bonman Kumalo, who spoke on behalf of Zimbabweans in South Africa, told the gathering that Nyati's unprovoked killing left many Zimbabweans feeling unsafe in South Africa. The cruelty that um, these people showed by killing him in that manner is really, really, really painful in our hearts as uh, the Mtuaga's nation. And this is how Peter Mushosho, a South African national, expressed his condolences when he spoke to VOA. Generally, I want to apologize to Zimbabweans because we are not expecting as South Africans that thugs in South Africa can kill our fellow black uh, brother in South Africa. We really apologize on that. At the end of the day, Africa must be one. Last week, the 45-year-old father of four and his wife, Nomsa Chuma, had just finished watching television at a neighbor's house in Tiflut Township. They heard screams of people running away from a mob looking for undocumented foreign nationals and suspected criminals. He ran, but the mob caught him, even though they knew he was not a criminal. Many in South Africa have blamed Nyati's death on the mushrooming of groups, demanding that undocumented foreign nationals leave the country. The country's unemployment rate is 35%, leaving many citizens angry and blaming immigrants for taking jobs. Hundreds of thousands of Zimbabweans live in South Africa, most of them seeking work as the economy in their country has nearly ground to a halt. After the memorial service, Nyati's body was taken to the spot where he was killed before it would be taken on to the Zimbabwean city of Bulawayo, where he will be buried on Saturday. The Zimbabwean government honored Nyati with a state-assisted funeral. Tusokumalo for VOA News, Johannesburg. Just a short time ago, Tanzania's first female president, Samia Suluhu Hassan, met the first female vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, at the White House. Hassan is on a two-week trip to the United States, focused on building economic and diplomatic ties. In her meeting with Harris, she is expected to discuss global health issues as well as building commercial relations with the United States. Media reports say Tanzania is looking for investment to expand its natural gas production, among other projects. To get the latest in their meeting, please check out voanews.com and VOA Africa on Facebook and Twitter. The World Health Organization says a variety of crises are eroding the health of millions and blocking needed humanitarian aid in war-torn hotspots around the world. For viewer Elisa Schlein has more from Geneva. War, climate disasters, and COVID-19 are threatening global health and undermining the capacity to build and maintain economically viable and stable societies. These multiple crises are most pronounced in war-torn countries. Ukraine, a once thriving society, is now shattered. Since Russia invaded 51 days ago, thousands of civilians, including children, have been killed and injured. The World Health Organization has confirmed 119 attacks on healthcare personnel and facilities. WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus says health services are severely disrupted, particularly in the east of the country, now the epicenter of the fighting. For the sake of humanity, I urge Russia to come back to the table and to work for peace. In the meantime, humanitarian corridors must be established 
so that medical supplies, food and water can be delivered and civilians can move to safety. On another front, the World Food Program says 4.6 million people in the embattled Tigray province of northern Ethiopia are suffering from acute hunger. Hundreds of thousands reportedly are on the verge of famine. The Ethiopian government called a humanitarian truce three weeks ago. Despite this, WHO chief Tedros says a blockade one of the longest in history, continues. Few life-saving supplies, he says, are reaching Tigray. In effect, the siege by the Ethiopian and Eritrean forces continues. To avert the humanitarian calamity and hundreds of thousands more people from dying, we need unfettered humanitarian access from those reinforcing the siege. Tedros warns the Horn of Africa and Sahel are at high risk of famine. He says conflict, years of drought, heavy flooding and COVID-19 have destroyed people's ability to cultivate the land, grow their crop and raise their cattle. He says many people are already starving and millions are on the move. He expresses concern about the impact this humanitarian crisis is having on people's health and on regional security. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Zimbabwe police say a bus carrying Zimbabwean churchgoers to an Easter gathering veered off a road and crashed into a gorge, killing at least 35 people and injuring 71. Police spokesman Assistant Commissioner Paul Nathis told AFP that the bus, which was heading to the southeastern town of Chipenge at night, appears to have been overloaded. Road accidents are common in Zimbabwe during public holidays when the roads are often busy. Many roads also are pockmarked with dangerous crater-like potholes. You are listening to African News Tonight. I'm Peter Clote in Washington. Here's a recap of our stories. In South Sudan, rights activists have doubts about a new peace deal. And more than 160 people remain missing after last week's train attack in Nigeria. I'm Peter Clote, and thanks for listening to VOA Africa. And for more news and information, visit our website at voanews.com. Cameroon says it has deployed several hundred troops to Kumbu after English-speaking separatists killed four top government officials on duty this week in the English-speaking northwestern town. The government says Tuesday's separatist killing of its top prison officials prompted scores of civilians to flee their villages in and around Kumbo. Separatists have claimed responsibility for the attack and promised to chase all government workers who do not resign or leave the English-speaking regions. Moki Edwin Kezaga reports from Yaoundé. Cameroon says it is saddened by separatist fighters on ending attacks on government workers in its English-speaking northwest and southwest regions. Separatists have been fighting to create an independent English-speaking state in the majority French-speaking nation since 2017. The government says the latest victims of separatist brutality are four top prison officials in the northwest region who were killed Tuesday by the fighters. Deben Chofo is the governor of the northwest region. He says the fighters killed and mutilated bodies of four prison leaders while they were on duty. 
Nous sommes descendus ici à transmettre aux familles éprouvées après l'assassinat. Chauffeur says Cameroon President Paul Bia instructed him Thursday to visit and extend condolences to the families of the four top prison officials killed by separatists in Takija village in Kumbu, an English-speaking town in the northwest region. He says Bia has ordered the military to immediately track fighters who killed and mutilated the bodies of the government officials. Chofo said Bia also ordered the government to organize a befitting burial for Kiga Theodore, the highest government prison official in the northwest region, and his three close collaborators killed by fighters. The Cameroon military says Kiga and three other prison workers were ambushed by separatists in Takija, a village in Kumbu. The military says Kiga was pulled out of his service car along with three of his colleagues. One of the prison staff was shot and killed, while three others were beaten with machetes until they died, the military says. The Cameroon government says the four officials were returning from Kambe, a town near the border with Nigeria. The prison administrators were in Kambe to officially install recently appointed prison staff in the border town. Separatists have claimed responsibility for the attack and shared videos on social media, including Facebook and WhatsApp, showing how the officials were killed. Capo Daniel is Deputy Defense Chief of the Ambazonia Defense Forces, which the government says is one of the biggest separatist groups in Cameroon. Daniel says his forces will attack all government workers until the government withdraws all of its workers from English-speaking Western regions. He says the prison officials were killed because they tried to fight back when stopped by fighters. The Cameroon prison guards were armed and ready for war when they were confronted by our fighters. We will fight to push Cameroon military personnel and the administrative officers out of our territory, we will intensify our attacks against the Cameroon military and the administrative representative until Cameroon withdraws. The military on Friday said several hundred troops have been deployed to track and arrest or kill fighters responsible for the act. The Roman Catholic Church in Kikaikelaki said scores of people have been arrested and an unknown number have escaped to safer localities in the English-speaking northwest region where Kumbo is located. The church says each time government officials are killed, the military commits abuses on civilians, including torture and arrest, while troops search for fighters. Cameroon's military has always denied it abuses the rights of civilians. Cameroon says at least 700 government workers, particularly teachers, have been abducted since the separatist crisis started. Scores have been killed by suspected fighters. The UN says Cameroon's separatist crisis that degenerated into an armed conflict in 2017 has killed at least 3,300 people with 750,000 internally displaced. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Yawunde. Cameroon.
Somalia swore in 290 new lawmakers yesterday amid tight security reflecting the dangerous long delayed process in choosing a new president. The UN humanitarian coordinator in Somalia, Adam Abdul Mula, warned in New York that the country is facing a very real risk of famine from severe drought with 6 million people in need of food assistance immediately. He said the UN asked for $1.5 billion to meet humanitarian needs in Somalia in 2022, but he said that we have received just 4.4%. The formation of Somalia's 11th parliament is the next step on the road toward electing a new president for the troubled Horn of African nation, a process that is more than a year behind schedule. The country is also battling a decade-long Islamist insurgency. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The State Department is taking action against the People's Republic of China, or PRC, officials for repressing predominantly Muslim Uyghurs, members of other ethnic and religious minority groups, and religious and spiritual practitioners inside and outside of China's borders, including within the United States. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced on March 21st that the United States rejects efforts by PRC officials to harass, intimidate, surveil, and abduct members of ethnic and religious minority groups, including those who seek safety abroad and U.S. citizens who speak out on behalf of these vulnerable populations. We are committed to defending human rights around the world and will continue to use all diplomatic and economic measures to promote accountability. The newly announced visa restrictions will be imposed against PRC officials who are believed to be responsible for or complicit in repressing religious and spiritual practitioners, members of ethnic and religious minority groups, dissidents, human rights defenders, journalists, labor organizers, civil society organizers, and peaceful protesters in China and beyond. We again call on the PRC government to cease its acts of transnational repression including attempting to silence Uyghur American activists and other Uyghur individuals serving the American people by denying exit permission to their family members in China, said Secretary Blinken. The United States reaffirms its support for those who speak out despite the threat of retaliation. More than one million predominantly Muslim Uyghurs and members of other ethnic and religious minority groups are in extrajudicial internment camps and an additional 2 million are subjected to so-called re-education training. Secretary Blinken reiterated his call to the PRC government to end its ongoing genocide and crimes against humanity in Xinjiang, repressive policies in Tibet, crackdown on fundamental freedoms in Hong Kong, and human rights violations and abuses, including violations of religious freedom elsewhere in the country. As this recent action illustrates, the United States will continue to work alongside the international community to promote accountability for PRC officials responsible for atrocities and human rights violations and abuses wherever they occur, including within China, the United States, and elsewhere around the world. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. And that wraps up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Peter Quarter in Washington. For all latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at viewingnews.com. And thank you again for tuning in and choosing the Voice of America.
Do you love music from Africa and the world? VOA has the latest hits, interviews with the artists, and we are glad to take your requests. The Voice of America has what you're looking for. We have music shows to please everyone. Join us on the radio or on the internet to listen day or night. Go to voanews.com and voaafrica.com and click on your favorite program. Just follow your ears. Music from Africa and the world. We've got it on VOA. Hello, sports fans. This is the voice of America's Sonny Young. Please join me Monday through Friday at 1630 and 1830 UTC for the sunny side of sports. On Fridays, you can also hear my expanded 30-minute edition of the show at 1730 UTC. Right here on the English to Africa service of the Voice of America.